0: South American Soccer, an in-depth look at the action across the whole continent, providing you with a tactical, analytical and critical view supported by Pinnacle's unrivaled odds. This is South American Soccer Insights. The end of 2021 is rapidly approaching and in South America we have a final round of crucial World Cup qualifiers, two huge cup finals and league competitions around the continent, entering the final straight. It's episode three of South American Soccer Insights, brought to you by Pinnacle, and as a result, we have a lot to get through. As ever, I'm joined by
1: Simon Edwards. How are you, Simon? I'm very good, very good here in Medellin. Been playing football today, which is why I'm I'm bronzed or burnt, depending. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but very good here down in Medellin. Looking forward to getting into everything.
0: No, looking good, looking good there, and... Joining us as well, Tom Robinson from the perhaps not quite so sunny uh, part of the world.
2: Yeah, but don't worry, in, in a couple of days time, I'm going to be out there with you guys in, in South America. The first trip back to Argentina in, in two years, coming up in the next few days. So, yeah, looking forward to being back out there with some some better weather and and obviously a chance to check out some exciting football as we reach this crucial stage with some, yeah, just amazing drama that's coming up.
0: Yeah. Terrific time to be getting to South America and and we'll have to get straight into it. Um, We have another week of World Cup qualifying coming up with some huge games. Um, Last time we spoke ahead of the October triple header of games, there was a sense that we might get a little bit more clarity in terms of who will be heading to Qatar um, from South America, but in truth, it probably got a little bit murkier if anything. Um, So in that sense, this week's games coming up, you feel are of even greater importance. Um, Simon, we talked about last time, the fact that we were having like a little two teams breaking away who look pretty much safe. And then a group of teams below that. And when you look at that table now, that's still very much the case. And it really is getting to a crunch period for everyone involved below Argentina.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It looks as though, I mean, yeah, Brazil and Argentina are in strong position and then there's a bit of a gap down to then Ecuador on 17, Colombia, 16, Uruguay, 16, and then Chile down on 13, but uh, quite a good uh, window for Chile the last round has brought them within three points. So there does seem to be a bit of a breakaway, uh, particularly at the top. And then those, those three teams behind Ecuador, Colombia and Uruguay, but things can change so quickly. Uh, and obviously there's going to be some huge games coming up. Um, Ecuador facing Venezuela. You'd think that they'd probably be confident with that one, although Venezuela are definitely capable of pulling off a shock. Chile, again, can kind of move themselves in within range of that pack with a, a good result against Paraguay away. It'd be a difficult one, but they could move up there. Colombia facing Brazil, so they could find themselves dropping off with the next game. It's going to be interesting. And then Peru against Bolivia, not too far off. I mean, we always know that Bolivia are, are strong at home, but uh, to be still within within touching distance, and obviously they've got a few points to make up, but impressive from Bolivia and Peru struggling down in ninth. Um, it definitely feels that the likes of Peru, uh, and we've seen Chile as well, kind of aging a little bit. Peru will be very disappointed having having gone to the last World Cup to now be way adrift at the bottom, but it's uh, it's definitely heating up in uh, in South American qualifying and there's going to be some big games coming up.
0: Yeah, you mentioned there, Simon, a few of those teams that are all in the mix. Um, Bolivia, you mentioned there. What are the surprise packages, we know they're dangerous at home. They've been able to use that to their advantage, but they're right there in the mix on 12 points, level with Paraguay, a point behind Chile, only four points behind the top four with Colombia and Uruguay there, level on points. Um, we look at their fixtures this time, they go away to Peru. Then they have that home game against Uruguay, who... I'm sure we'll get on to because when we talk about momentum and sides, who had a good week, good month last time round and, and not so much now and pressure on. Uruguay certainly the negative side of that. Um, Tom, there's a potential here for some big shocks in South America. Maybe the kind of shocks that we weren't looking at two months ago.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think after those back-to-back home wins, Everyone in Bolivia is suddenly dreaming of this improbable comeback, and um, I think we've always said that they're going to be dangerous at home. And now, just comes a, a really, really important round for them because if they want to qualify, yes, they might rely on that home form, but they're going to need to pick up something away. Um, so this will, I think, probably this this round could make or break their chances of this, yeah, fairy tale run that's come out of nowhere because. Um, Peru away, uh, you know they're probably likely to lose based on on past uh, past matches. Um, but if they could even just get a point, that could be huge. And then that goes into a Uruguay game where, okay, on paper, Uruguay much stronger, but at home, Uruguay in a bit of a mess. Um, it could it could really be a good round if they can pick up four points from this this round. Then Bolivia are right in. I mean, if you look at the the odds on on Pinnacle there. They're 7.840 to win against Peru away. So it shows it's a bit of a long shot and, and even 4.310 to draw. So it looks like the bookies are backing, um, Peru to to get the home win there, but if they could pull that off, then it's going to be really interesting, and and as you say, Uruguay in in all kinds of mess after their horrendous last couple of games, and and a lot of soul-searching and and questions going on in the Uruguay camp, um, certainly around uh, Oscar Tabarez's future.
0: Yeah, certainly. You mentioned there Peru as well. They're certainly one of the teams, I think, heading into this this double-header with sort of last-chance saloon, because they have two winnable games, that home game against Bolivia, then they play Venezuela. So those two games, two teams around them in the table, the only team below them, Venezuela. Looking at a Peru side, Simon, that you kind of feel as though Peru need probably six points from, from this to get themselves right back into contention. And remember, this is a Peru side that did go to the last World Cup, went to the latter stages of the Copa America. So they would expect to be there or thereabouts. It's been a really disappointing... Uh, well, qualification for them so far, um, and this November round of fixtures is a chance just for them to give themselves a chance going into 2022.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if you know, you think if they don't win that game against uh, against against Bolivia at home, the the morale will be on the floor. You know, that is a game that everyone expects to win. As dangerous as Bolivia can be, as as you know, good as they can be at moments away, they shrink in themselves at Bolivia a little bit. Um, so if Peru were unable to get a positive result against Bolivia, I think it would really drag them down when they go away to that game against Venezuela. So I think a comfortable win against Bolivia and I think things can change so quickly, there's be a new sense of positive, positive attitude, they could they could get a five 0 win against Bolivia and suddenly everything looks looks a bit more looks a bit brighter. Um, but if they struggle, if it's an unconvincing performance, then that Venezuela game becomes even more difficult uh, and Venezuela have a lot to prove as well you know we were talking about maybe this could be the time they go to their first world cup and they're stuck bottom of the table so i'm sure venezuela are keen to uh, re- restore some pride in the in the final round of games uh, you know this round of games and the coming the games at the start of next year um, so it's going to be an interesting one for peru you know as i say i think it's a team that's aging it's a team that hasn't really evolved very much Um, and I think that's been a trend for a few teams in South America uh, at at this point in time so huge game coming up will be very interesting to see but uh, I think that Bolivia game will really set the tone for for this window Yeah, absolutely Uh, Tom, you you mentioned there some of the problems facing
0: Uruguay Um, can you just go into a bit more detail for anyone perhaps not familiar with just what the problems have been so far I mean, we were talking to two months ago, I think the first episode about how we looked at the table. Yes, we were looking at Brazil and Argentina, but Uruguay, we were kind of looking at as probably the team that you'd expect to push themselves into third, comfortably qualify for the World Cup. So two months down the line to be talking about all of these problems and being in a bit of a mess is a bit of a concern for for Uruguay at this latter stage of qualification
2: yeah more than a bit a, a bit of a concern i think they're really really worried now that they might miss out but ask any uruguay fan and, and they'll tell you that they they don't like to do things the easy way if they can find a way to finish 5th and and scrape through and maybe a playoff then then that's the way that they they often do so i mean in terms of squad depth and quality uh, they're right up with with some of the best but they've just come off the back of two absolute shellackings from from Argentina and Brazil respectively and it's it's not just the fact they lost because i think most of us would expect Argentina and Brazil to beat Uruguay at the moment but it's it's more the manner in which they did it you know we we talked before about um how they just they didn't even really put up that traditional fight that you'd usually um, associate them with, you know, this, particularly in that Argentina game. It was it was very meek. And I think that's the, the big worry. There's There's been a lot of chat from fans for, for probably a couple of years now about, is this the right time to move Tabarez on? Um, seems like he's hanging on just a, a, about, after those last uh, results, it was pot- potentially looked like he might go then and there. But um, I think now it's a case that he he needs he needs a reaction more than anything i think they could probably get away with not necessarily getting a result against argentina although obviously right now any point would be um absolute gold dust for them but i think as long as they they showed a bit more fight a bit more fire even if they got a draw or if it was a narrow defeat i think that that could really get them back on track because if they get pumped again by argentina and then you know certainly if you look at the the odds they they're not not favorites there i think it's um they're 3.16 to get a win or a draw um so definitely um argentina with the the favorite uh, well the, the big favorites in that game but if they have another poor result going away to bolivia at altitude is is going to be a, a, a real struggle for them so you know, if they if they don't come out of this with um with with at least a, a couple of points i think they'll they'll be worrying and and maybe there's there's even been talk that perhaps rather than throw a new manager in right now with these two tricky games they might sort of let Tabarez take take them on the chin and um, and then maybe the new guy can come in give them a bit of a uh, new manager bounce for for the final ones which are pr- perhaps a bit more winnable so yeah uruguay have, have gone from a position of not necessarily comfort but you kind of thought yeah they're always going to do enough to to genuinely being in, in in a bit of danger here which certainly I didn't see 3 or 4 months ago and and I think the from the last round of games even though Colombia didn't <laughs> score a single goal um they probably will be quite happy with that with that last round of fixtures won't they Simon I mean h- how do you kind of view where they're at at the moment because on one hand you think, yeah, defensively solid, taking points off Brazil, but at the other you know, the other point you're you're saying that they're only one one in seven qualifiers now. So what's what's going on with Colombia, Simon?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um I think there's more of a positive feeling uh in Colombia than before the the last round of fixtures. Three three nil nil draws. Um, which, you know, isn't, doesn't sound that exciting. It definitely was quite exciting, particularly a game against Ecuador. All of the drama at the end and, uh, Jerry Mina disallowed goal. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit, it was a bit mad. With the stadium back full of fans as well, it's another feature of South American football now that, with, with the stadiums being, uh, increasing their capacity to, to have almost full attendance. Um, so in terms of Colombia, yeah, I mean, I think there's some good news and some bad news. Um, one, uh, Juan Fernando Quintero is going to be missing uh, Colombia is going to be missing a lot of players for this round of fixtures Jerry um, Mina and Carlos Cuesta have become the central defensive par- partnership neither are available Quintero has been important as kind of the creator he's not available um, they're really really short in midfield Mateo Soribe is not available um, James is back but I have a friend who um, who works in Qatar Works. He played. his team played against Hammers's team last week when Hammers got a red card he said Hammers was awful he says he couldn't run he had no he had no fitness he, he looked overweight he looked uninterested he was one of the weaker players on the field so colombia were kind of pinning their hopes on bringing hammers back um, and obviously with the manager it was going to be a really difficult to leave him out with like 10 first team players now unavailable before he could say you know we're doing okay we've got some good players nobody's available there's no playmakers at all so you have to bring back hammers um, and it'll be interesting to see because colombia have resorted to what is basically kind of a 442 um, with, a, with a number nine and, and someone playing just off him. Um, and that's kind of been out of necessity. Um, it's been working fairly well, and, and I think they've probably created more chances than their opponents in most of the last three games. Uh, they're going to play Brazil next. Uh, Pinnacle have Brazil, understandably, as strong favourites. Uh, 1.408 for Brazil, 8.50 for Colombia in Brazil. But they've drawn the last three meetings. Uh, three of the last four games have been a draw between Colombia and Brazil. The other game that Brazil did win of those four uh, was very controversial. Colombia scored, kept it tight until late, and, and there was a very controversial uh, Brazilian equaliser. Then they scored in the 95th minute. So it's been very, very close. These games have always been very tight. I think this Colombian setup is quite well suited. It does seem to rely on Luis Diaz doing something amazing uh, on the left wing. Um, but another day Colombia could have picked up some, uh, some wins in this. duvan Zapata missed a, a couple of absolute sitters. He doesn't seem he might be one of those Carlos Baca situations where he's banging them in in, in in club football and is starting to become a bit of a bit of a scapegoat or a bit of a villain for the national team. Hopefully that doesn't happen because I think he brings a lot to his overall game and is someone Colombia really needs at the moment. Um, so it's going to be interesting. I think Colombia could do something in Brazil. They have, I think Colombia are quite fearless. That they, they've, Colombia feel intimidated by certain teams, but I think they, they're just more angry at Brazil. There's a bit of a rivalry now between these two, Neymar and Barrios, always going at it, and Barrios coming out on top quite a few. January transfer window. Someone in Europe, please buy Wilmar Barrios. Newcastle, you need Wilmar Barrios. You've got a billion pounds. Buy, buy Wilmar Barrios. Always Colombia's best player. Um, but it's going to be really interesting. I think Colombia will see the Brazil game as a free hit. And then obviously, uh, they'll need to get three points for the for the, the following game. Um, but Colombia are in a good position. Um, but that Brazil game, I think is going to be a, a free one. And then Paraguay at home has to be a win. If they can get... Three points against Paraguay. Something against Brazil is a bonus and I think they're in a decent position. But uh, confidence is fairly strong, but everyone's pinning all their hopes on Hammers, who uh, my, my local scout report says can't run. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes.
0: As we've said, difficult games then for the likes of Colombia and Uruguay. Um, maybe then it could be a, an opportunity then for Ecuador, who currently sit third. Um, but we take a look at them playing a home game against Venezuela next Thursday. Then they go away to Chile, who have been somewhat unconvincing during this period. Could this be a month where Ecuador really be able to stake their claim to follow Brazil and Argentina through, do you think?
2: It's definitely another chance. I mean, I think last time out um, might have been a bit of a missed opportunity to extend their lead over Uruguay and Colombia. Obviously, dropping points away in, in Venezuela, but crucially, they're still ahead and they've got two nice fixtures coming up. So, um, again, you'd, you'd think that at home they should rectify that um, mistake against Venezuela. They're one point three eight seven to win that one, so should be a home win for Ecuador. And then, and then Chile is a hard one, really, because. Um, a few months ago, you, you would have said that, yeah, this is a really good opportunity for Ecuador to pick up some away points, but Chile have got a bit of upward momentum now, um, and it, it, that, that's going to be a really fascinating game. It, it might be a case that with Chile really needing to get that win, it, they're going to have to come on to um, Ecuador, especially in front of a home crowd as well, and that might ca- um, favour Alfaro's counter-attacking style, so they might play into Ecuador's hands there, but... As well as Ecuador having a really interesting round, I think Chile do as well because um, not only have we mentioned that that very balanced, finely balanced game against Ecuador, but away a Paraguay for, the, for their first game, it's exactly the type of game you need to win if you're going to make it to the World Cup, and they're, they've played their way back into contention somehow. Um, you know they need to prove that wasn't just a flash in, a, in the pan against. You know, maybe weaker opposition, and and Paraguay they've got the new boss Gustavo escoloto uh, coming in, so that's going to be interesting to see if there's a reaction there. And just by looking at the the odds there, it's a really tough one to call. I think Chile against Paraguay, um, two point six six zero to win, three point zero four zero to draw, and maybe two point nine five zero to lose. So. That's a game that could go anyway. I wouldn't know what's going to happen there. But I think if if Chile can can get again, you know, at least one win, definitely if they can get two wins, then they're they're right back in the mix. But um I think that game against Paraguay is gonna be sort of low key fascinating it might not be the one that jumps out you know there's certainly the big guns like argentina and brazil playing each other and you know brazil against colombia argentina against uruguay you know but i think all those teams just bubbling underneath um could really take advantage of what's happening above and and shoot up and, and ecuador chile um peru bolivia they're all teams that i think are going to be ones to keep an eye on in this round
0: yeah paraguay we'll be praying that that roll of the dice, getting in a new manager will be enough to put them back into contention. But you're absolutely right. I think it is an opportunity as we've seen teams maybe not be able to take it in previous international breaks where we've seen teams pick up maybe one win, one defeat, and everyone's taking off points of each other. We're we're still seeing such a tight table. As you say, the standout fixtures probably are, are those ones involving Argentina when you look at, the fact that Argentina go away to Uruguay in that big classical, then they host Brazil. Um, And it's with those fixtures in mind that I think Argentina will be very, very grateful that things have been going so well for them leading into this November, that they'll be very satisfied that they're sat there unbeaten, with that long unbeaten run that stretches all the way back to 2019 Copa America. Um, And we'll be able to say, okay, we're not necessarily having to look at taking maximum points from November. Um, against in those two big games but it will be of course fascinating still to keep an eye on those big rivalries and I I think two rivalries as well that this month um, could be particularly spicy given how the game went against Uruguay last time as we talked about I think Uruguay will definitely be looking for some sort of reaction whether it necessarily means they'll play good football on the pitch or whether it just means they kick lumps out of Argentina but I think they're going to want to show the supporters that they, they are feeling wearing the shirt and they want to prove that. And the Brazil rivalry seems to have just taken up a notch, uh, in recent years. Um, Richarlison's, uh, (laughs) social media at the center of that ordinarily. Um, but that will make that game extra interesting as well. So, um, Simon, just quickly before we finish, then when you look at these fixtures, who are you looking at really to say? Yeah, at the end of this year, those teams are going to be confident of getting their place in 2022.
1: Yeah, I think that Brazil are there, Argentina are there, more or less. Uh, they think they can be there mathematically after this. So those two, book your flights, no worries, all good, sorted. Uh, Ecuador, as you say, um, Ecuador could go both ways, but I think this is their big, big chance. They, they get the, the points, they get the job done this week, and I think they're they're well on track. Um, uh Colombia, I think that Brazil game will be interesting. I think it's going to be feisty. If you want to look for some interesting bets, maybe cards and sendings off maybe the way to go. I can't imagine there'll be too many goals, which probably suits Colombia. Um, I think it's going to be interesting because Brazil are very strong, very dominant, but I think Colombia can go toe-to-toe with them in kind of the... The, the the physical stakes and it does tend to break down to the physical kind of game with with the likes of Neymar and Luis Diaz making the difference on the counter so I think Colombia have a chance to put themselves in a strong position uh, Uruguay is going to be fascinating to see as you say strong strong squad but looking a bit a bit lost so that will be interesting Chile again um, this again is a big chance for Chile Bolivia who knows I, I'd, I'd be very surprised if Bolivia are there or thereabouts I think I think look, it's it's really Brazil, Argentina there, Ecuador, Colombia, Uruguay have it within their grasp if they can keep the form going. Um, they're probably the best five teams on the continent right now. Um, but we know Chile are organised. We know Chile can make the best of what they have, and what they have is ageing. It's not what it was five or six years ago. But what they have is still is still good enough. And they're organised, so they can definitely still make something happen. Bolivia, the wild outsiders— who knows? But they'll—they'll they'll, if they have that if they have that opportunity, if they can sniff that opportunity, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Will they? Will they lose? You know, will they shrink inside themselves, or will they think, "Jesus Christ, we could actually get to a World Cup. This would be amazing." It will see how interesting to see how they respond. They're always confident at home. But as you say, they're going to have to win a game away and get draws away to, to have a chance. So we'll have to see. And then Peru, Venezuela trying to save some some respect in this competition and, uh, and Paraguay as well. Going to need some goals. We'll see what happens. They're taking a bit of a risk. It will be interesting to see. So I think it's the top five for me are probably the favorites. But Colombia aren't scoring goals. Uruguay are nowhere near playing to their their potential, and Ecuador are still quite unpredictable for me for all of the qualities they have. So Chile could push them, and then if someone can emerge from Paraguay, Bolivia, Peru, then it can still be interesting, and things can change so, so quickly because everyone's playing each other. They're taking points of each other. There's so many six-pointers in South American qualifying that the thing can turn on its heads very quickly, but it's going to be fascinating, and I look forward to seeing how it plays out in the next Week and a half, two weeks. So you've you've tipped everyone there, Simon.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I'm saying the top five. I'm saying the top five, but they could they could mess it up. They could mess it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there there you have it. The five that we have at present will be the five headed to the World Cup. Um, but we have, as Simon said, some big games coming up this month. Only four would remain after that in 2022. So very much. Up for grabs if if there are any slip-ups during this month it could be uh, a mortal wound against one of those sides um obviously this month as well is not just world cup qualifying we have the two big games in terms of club football um coming up the two finals the Copa Olympic stories the coppersul americana um and we've been talking since the quarterfinals about who's there and it's no real surprise i don't think to any of us to to come down to an all four Brazilian sides. Um, we'll start with the Libertadores, the the big one, the big prize. We were talking during the semi-finals about probably not being too surprised at the fact that we have this Palmeiras Flamengo final Palmeiras, the reigning champions, looking to do the the thing that nobody's been able to do since Boca Juniors in 2001 and retain the Libertadores against a Palme against a Flamengo side that won it in 2019 and, and look as strong as ever. Um, so Tom break this down for us I mean what are we looking at in the in this Libertadores final it looks like it's one of those which is very very difficult to call.
2: Yeah I think that is that is the best way to sort of sum it up at the moment because you've got second versus third in the Brazilian league right now they've only got one point between them shows just how tight they are in terms of quality it's it's no surprise that they're you know Palmeiras making it back to back finals Flamengo's second final in three years. They've got ridiculous uh, strength and depth. They're they're very, you know, they've they've got star-studded teams, and and they're rightly in the final. Um, I think it's it's going to be interesting how much of that packed league schedule has a um, an effect on on the final um, because they've got a lot of games to, to fit in um, at the moment, and and both could be pretty knackered by the time they get there. So. I wonder if the fact they're playing so many games means that we might not get the best spectacle. Plus, those one-off finals have always been tense, more a case of teams not wanting to lose, which may well play into Palmeiras' hands. You know, even though their defensive record in the league isn't as good as Flamengo's, we've seen how good they are um, in cup competitions, and I think they've probably just got that better manager for those cups situations. Um, they're on a decent run at the moment. I think unbeaten in five with four wins. um, Palmeiras, um have also, I, I think they're a bit streaky because I think before that they had about seven game winless streak. So it, I think a lot will depend on the form coming into the final. Palme- uh, Flamengo have dropped off a little bit lately, but have picked up the rhythm and, you know, starting to get the wins uh, together again. And perhaps the thing that might just tip it in Palmeiras's favour is they are very good away from home. I know that technically they're not going to be the away team. It's a, it's a neutral ground, but I think they're unbeaten in 15 away games in the Libertadores, which stretches back to them, I think, losing to San Lorenzo of all teams uh, back in April 2019. So maybe they're going to be the team who, who deals best with uh, unfamiliar surroundings and, and that might just give them the edge. But realistically, there's there's very little to call between these two teams. It's going to be a very interesting game, perhaps not the free flowing football. Though Flamengo do have that attacking talent that could that could potentially drag this game from out of the trenches, and uh, and maybe we might see some soccer.
0: Yeah, I mean, we kind of said the same thing when we were talking about the semi-finals at Atlético Mineiro and, and their attacking talents. Um, Simon, that's kind of what Palmeiras like to do, I guess, in terms of they look to spoil things. They're very good at it. We saw in the semi-finals that goalless draw away to Atletico Mineiro, which basically provided them with that foundation to end up going through to the final. Is, is that what we're going to see? Do you think from Palmeiras, and do you think that's what makes them so dangerous going into this final?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it sounds cliche, but goals are so so defining and completely transform games in a, in a final you know if the ball goes over the line then suddenly everything has changed and then suddenly one team has to chase the game it, it, you know, these moments are so huge a red card can completely turn everything on its head so it's going to come down to these moments but yeah for me when when I'm asked at the beginning of these things who's going to win it I always say Palmeiras <laughs> because I think that they're so good at getting over the line. They love a 1-0. They'll, what, what they'll do is they'll get a 1-0 and then the other team will throw everything at them through frustration because they can't get through. And Palmeiras will score two more or will score one more on the counter and and kind of get a 2-3-0 three, win that made it look easy. But they kind of made it hard on themselves. But that's how they like it. They like to feel in control. They don't like to expose themselves at the back. So this one-off huge final, I think is just going to play really nicely into Palmeiras' hands. That's not to say, I mean, I'm sure in terms of possession, um, Flamengo will be in many ways the protagonist, but I think that might be a little deceiving <laughs> because not having the ball for, for, for large stretches and, and being very compact and organised is, is exactly what Palmeiras want to do. So I, I think at times in this final, both teams are going to feel that it's going their way. <laughs> you know, Palmeiras will be in control without, without um, dominating or imposing themselves Whereas Flamengo will have the ball and feel like they're doing what they want to do, which is exactly what Palmeiras want them to do as well. So I think it's going to be interesting. Palmeiras are basically the underdogs full of like international level players. Well, that's
0: why Palmeiras could potentially win it, Tom. Um, but give us a reason why you think or who could be the key players for Flamengo to to see them regain or bring back the Copa Libertadores after that one year off not winning.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the thing that Flamengo really do have in their in their locker is they have m- many more players who can win you a game out of nothing. I think if you look at Palmeiras, there's it's, there's only a few players where you're going to see a bit of magic and it's more going to be a, a team grinding you down and, and creating a chance. But Flamengo, if it's Jorge de Arasquieta, uh, Bruno Henrique, Gabigol—you know—they're three of the best players in South American football right now. We saw Bruno Henrique in, in the semi-finals, scoring braces in both legs um, against Barcelona, and and he's maybe not quite at those 2019 levels, but he's he's fantastic, um, and he's got the pace and directness that can really worry anyone. And then, obviously, Darius Chieta, I think. There, you'd be hard pushed to find a better playmaker in in South American football right now. He can always do something, and he's come up with some big moments in this tournament, especially in the group stages. He um, he really pulled out some important either assists or goals or winning a penalty in in some of those tight games against Velez and Quito. So, and and yeah, Gabriel Baros, Gabi Goal, he's the type of striker you can never. Rest on your laurels around because just when you think he's had a poor game and you've kept him in your in your pocket for ninety minutes, he'll he'll pop up and, and score a goal. So straight away, there's there's three game changers there, and and then the reinforcements they've brought in as well are going to be uh, really important. You know, David Luiz is you know not too long ago he's he's playing at the very very top level. Yes, you know he might be a bit of a figure of ridicule at times, um, but at this level he is, you know top of his game and 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 even some of the players like Kennedy and Andreas Pereira coming in have been have been really good um players to, to sort of bolster that team so i think you look through that Flamengo team and you can quite easily talk yourself into saying well look if they can get the first goal and they're going to re- and then Palmeiras have to come out and try and hit them um back then as soon as Palmeiras open up, that's when the spaces are going to come and that's when you can see them do a bit of damage. So I think it is going to be really crucial as to who gets that first goal because Palmeiras get it, they can set up shop and then and hit on the counter. If Flamengo get it, then that's going to open up Palmeiras and, um, and, and we might have a bit more of a, a ding-dong on our hands. Yeah, so it
0: certainly does seem like it's one that's... A little too close to tell. They will lock horns on November 27th in Montevideo. Uh, One week earlier at the same stadium, uh, we will have the Copa Sudamericana final. That's also going to be played between two Brazilian clubs, Atletico Paranaense against Red Bull Bragantino. We were talking just before we started recording, in light of these two games, the Libertadores being one which was very difficult to, to really pick a winner, But perhaps Simon, when we looked at the Sudamericana, there was a sense of a leaning towards one of these teams as a slight favourite.
1: Yeah, these are two teams who have very, very interesting projects, who have been on the rise consistently, obviously Bragantino, incredibly so, um, having come from the second division and now established themselves right at the top of the Brazilian top flight. Um, I would say I think you're probably suggesting Bragantino as slight favourites, and I think I would agree. Perhaps in large part to uh, an early pod favourite Artur. I think we're all a big fan of Artur. Incredibly talented, quick, tidy, technical, creative, attacking midfielder who covers a lot of ground, is everywhere doing everything all the time. Great player. Um, but yeah, I think probably Bragantino will come into this as as favourites, which is really remarkable. Now obviously there's a big red ball hanging over <laughs> over this, the kind of the the red ball in the corner that no one's mentioning, which is obviously a huge part of their success. But also, you know, the, the fact that they've built such an impressive institution, they've been able to turn a second division team into title contenders in Brazil. They've done some incredible recruitment, not only in terms of young players that they've signed but and brought through, but also finding kind of undervalued talents uh, and doing such a great job. So for me, yeah, I think Red Bull are probably my favourites for this one, although it's going to be tight. It's a one-off final um, Bragantino are the team in, in form in the league, but Paranaense have shown over the years that they're a very effective team, a team that can, uh, impose themselves on the game. And these are two teams who will be, although they won't have played much given that Bragantino are newly promoted, they're two teams that will be familiar with each other's style, be both based in the, the same league, of course, in Brazil. Um, so it's going to be a, a, I think a, a fairly tight one, but I do think, that boy Artur is going to make the difference with some magic. Um, and I think he's going to be the star of this final. And if he is, then I think Bragantino will be the winners of this final. But I do think it's going to be quite close as well. Yeah,
0: certainly Artur has been the difference so far. It's certainly in the knockout stages for for Red Bull Bragantino. Um, but, but Tom, when we're looking at Atlético Paranaense, we're arguably looking at a side as well in the semi-finals that came in as maybe slight underdogs. We're looking at a very talented 10-year-old team that we looked at going through the early stages of the Sudamericana, scoring a huge amount of goals. Augustine Alvarez-Martinez scoring goals for fun in the early stages. And yet they managed to dispatch Peñarol. They get themselves into the final. So do you look at this Paranaense side as one that is more than capable of still being able to to pull off? I think it would maybe be a shock. A shock would be a bit of an overstatement. But a side that is still good value if you're looking at someone to win this tournament yeah
2: definitely. I, I think obviously, all the focus is on red uh, Red Bull just because they're the you know the new shiny team with lots of exciting youngsters. But this is a ah uh, team that has had quite a lot of cup success. They know they know what they're doing. they're they're a bit like Palmeiras in that respect is that they'll be happy sitting back, frustrating. and and I think we saw against a ten year old side that have got some lots of young talents. You know that that experience sometimes can can get through. You know, marshaled by Thiago Elena at the back. There, they've, they've got a lot of players who maybe they don't have quite as many stars as they have had in the in the past. But um, it's a yeah, it's a tough side to beat. And um, I mean, probably by the time this this podcast. Podcast goes out. Um, you, they'll have already played each other in the league this weekend, but that's going to be an interesting um, match up to see how that affects things later on. But yeah, certainly it wouldn't be a surprise at all to see Padane and say edge it. I think if they can if they can keep it tight and get to 60 minutes and and sort of still be in it, then maybe Bragantino's inexperience in these kind of situations might um, see a few wobbles and and certainly they. Pronouncey that won't won't be fussed if they have to take it all the way to penalties or something like that. So it's it's definitely not a sure thing. Um, even if you look at Bragantino's position in the league and say yeah they should be favourites because of that and how dominant they've been in the Sudamericana, but um, yeah I, I don't think this one is quite as cut and dry as as maybe it first appears.
0: Yeah, certainly, and, and the one-off nature of the final. Will of course make it a rather a tense affair in Montevideo, um, but with of course that Brazilian clean sweep across the two competitions, four teams left. Um, it brings us neatly on to our quick league focus to wrap up this episode of the podcast. And so we go to Brazil. It's entering the, the final stretch of the Brasiliano season, as we've already mentioned. A few of the teams where they are in the table: Flamengo, Palmeiras, Bragantino, all in the top four, but trailing the leaders. Um, Simon, before we get too much into the running in this season, um, let's just take a look at the Brazilian league, more of an overview of it, because we we often, when we were talking about Argentina, for example, um, we were talking about the big five in Argentina, but when you look from a Brazilian perspective, there's a lot more sort of big, big teams in Brazil, uh, historically speaking. So, How would you kind of describe uh, the league system in Brazil and and who are the teams kind of to look out for?
1: Yeah, so the Brazilian league is much more familiar, I think, for the the European audiences, those who are used to uh, a league table with one champion. After the complications of trying to explain everything in Colombia, perhaps it's a little reassuring to have just 38 games. The team who wins the most games wins the league uh, rather than playoffs and short seasons and complicated relegation. But what it means is that there's a lot of teams, a lot of giant clubs uh, across the league who begin the season expecting to to win a title or to be in a a title race. And really, only one's going to win. So that puts, I think, a lot of pressure on on some of these big teams. Uh, And as we've seen this season, some teams respond to that well. We've got Flamengo, Palmeiras, who we're familiar with, Corinthians are are up there in the top, top half. Internacional are not too far off. And, And these are some of the giant clubs traditional giant clubs in Brazil, but then we've also got some traditional giant clubs who are really struggling, the likes of Gremio in particular, we've already seen Botafogo get relegated, one of the great Rio giants with a huge history, we've seen Cruzeiro go down, and now Gremio could be the latest in Brazil to go to the second division, they're currently second bottom, it's it's very interesting Brazilian football, um, there are a lot of massive, massive clubs with millions and millions of fans. Um, Santos is another team that's struggling at the moment. Sao Paulo down in the bottom half, a giant, giant club. So one thing with Brazil is we have a lot of very modern huge stadiums. There's a lot of very, very strong teams. The league system, I think, also adds to that pressure. And having been in stadiums in Brazil, like the the animosity or the 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 the, the passion, but really kind of expectation that these giants have giant clubs have of their players. Um, it's like they're not hoping to win they're just really annoyed if they're not winning Um, and that with the fact that there's so many giant traditional clubs um, the league system where one team is going to be champion and everyone else of these massive clubs is disappointed and then you throw in some of these really up and coming clubs we've mentioned a lot about Bragantino in this episode are now established top flight club there's also uh, the, the emerging giants in a way from the north of the, the, the country, uh, up in Bahia, Salvador, they've got massive stadiums and they're filling those massive stadiums and, and you know, Fortaleza is one team that's out there at the moment. So Brazilian football, I think, as we know, anyone who knows anything about uh, soccer will know that uh, there's so many incredible young Brazilians coming through every year. And that's a, always a really interesting feature. You combine that with the financial might to bring back the best players from, from Europe, increasingly kind of late 20s, not even, you know, 30s now, um, and the potential to sign the best from around the continent. Now, I think that's one area Brazilian soccer could improve. I think that their their recruitment is getting better, but they, they really have the opportunity to sign anyone they want. So that would be interesting to see. And I, And I think just more broadly, I think, the teams are becoming better organized in their structures, more professional. There's still a lot of to go in terms of matching some of the European clubs in their structure, but the financial might is there. The institutions are there. There's more European influence. We're seeing clubs like Bragantino show how effective a good structure can be in, in propelling a club forward. So Brazilian soccer is really, really interesting for me. Um, giant clubs, huge clubs, huge iconic kits, massive stadiums, I still think they're punching slightly above their weight, but increasingly they're dominating these continental competitions. And I think it wouldn't be an exaggeration if, if we say that they, they have the chance and the potential to be up there with the sixth, seventh, maybe even fifth best leagues in Europe. Uh, the, the best teams and the best players are already of that level. Uh, and I think if they can get the tactics right, they can get the coaching right, they can get some long-term projects, which is what they've lacked. I think it's going to go from strength to strength to league. So it's a really interesting to one one to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think
0: we've seen some improvements in recent years in that regard with Brazilian football, which I think is probably a knock-on effect of why we're seeing now a, a much more dominant figure in, in the continental competitions. But... Simon mentioned there, Tom, a number of the, the the big teams, the traditional teams with huge histories, and this season is an interesting one when we look at the fortunes of some of those teams. Simon mentioned there one of the, one of the big stories: Gremio really in problems with potential relegation, and I think we already see some of the teams currently playing in the second tier that you would put in that bracket of being big clubs: Cruzeiro, Vasco da Gama, Botafogo, all playing outside the top flight at the moment santos in real trouble as well but when we look at the top of the table we mentioned a few of the teams playing in continental competitions but they're all chasing um atletico Mineiro. so we see this vast spectrum of the big teams in brazil some not in the top flight and and atletico Mineiro, perhaps going on to win only their second league title in their history going all the way back since 1971.
2: Yeah, it's, it's crazy when you've got that big 12 because, you know, we see it in, let's say, English soccer, you know, of five or six or seven trying to go into four and you think there's always going to be someone missing out. Whereas if you're getting 12 teams who all see themselves as league title contenders each year, then it's, uh, yeah, then, it, then it's crazy amount of competition it also means you just get a ton of huge matches almost every other week you're looking and saying oh that's a bit of a tasty clash it's a you know local rivalry and and right now it's I think the interesting thing that we've seen as that sort of carries on from Simon's point is uh, some of these clubs kind of getting their act together and and maybe uh, modernizing their structures internally as well is the fact we've got Mineiro, Flamengo, Palmeiras, Brangantino is the current top four. And they're all sides who went deep um in continental competitions. Ordinarily it's it's very hard to do, do the double. Certainly Argentinian clubs have found it nigh on impossible to do that. But the fact we've got, you know, teams really duking it out there, it's um it's showing that this is a really good crop of of Brazilian teams right now, even even by usual Brazilian standards. So um, it is fascinating. But there are, you know, there's always space for these smaller teams like Bragantino, like Fortaleza as well. I mean, they're probably one of the big stories of the Brazilian league uh, this year. In fifth place there, and um, and yeah, they've been a, a real surprise package. Um Voivola, the the Argentinian coach there, has. Um, doing very well with them and, and they've got some good players. One that I would definitely recommend people to to keep an eye on is um, Edison, a central midfielder on loan from uh, Corinthians who um, caught my eye a couple of years ago and um, yeah, I was a bit surprised when they loaned him out actually but he's uh, he's been one of the best performers in the league this year. So um, there's always lots of good young players coming through and um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see if maybe some of these ideas that have come from from outside maybe even start to change the way that this kind of antiquated league structure with the state leagues in the first four months of the year and then the league from May to December, um, maybe that could start to challenge whether that's still seen as a, as a viable part of Brazilian football. Certainly something that you know the likes of Tim Vickery have always been railing against as uh, something that needs to change because if you go deep in um, the league the Copa do, do Brasil, the the continental competitions, it's a proper marathon. I think that's one thing that you know we have to mention when it comes to Brazilian football. Um, and yeah, there's there's still room for it. I think where if they modernised a bit more, it could become even stronger, which is a is a scary thought for the rest of South American soccer.
0: Yeah, certainly Brazilian football for those people not familiar perhaps with South American fo- soccer is is a good way to get into watching South American soccer because of the fact that we have that league system aside from the state championships in the start of the year, certainly the league structure that we're talking about is very accessible. And as Simon pointed out, there's an increasing amount of quality teams and players in Brazil. Um, we'll, we'll come to a close there for this episode, having given a, a brief glimpse into Brazilian football. Um, but Thanks, as ever, um, to you, Simon.
1: No, you're very welcome. Uh, enjoyed it. always enjoy discussing South American football and uh, looking forward to seeing how these massive games go and, and talking about them again next month. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be back again next month uh, to look back, I'm assuming, on,
0: what, as we've laid out, a very dramatic uh, month of World Cup qualifiers. Thanks uh, for your insight, as ever, Tom, as well.
2: Cheers. Yeah, no, it's going to be a fascinating round of uh, qualifiers and big matches at the end of the month as well. So it's going to be great and um, yeah, looking forward to attending some matches in person as well. So it's going to be a good month, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Tom, you'll be able to enjoy some games here in Argentina. Um, And of course, as you say, we've got some huge games coming up. So when we next meet to discuss, we'll be looking back on champions in both those competitions. We'll probably have a better idea of exactly what's going to happen with World Cup qualifiers and We may well know a few champions around the continent domestically as well. So thank you for listening. Remember, you can go to Pinnacle to check all the latest odds of betting insight, plus plenty of content over on the Twitter at Pinnacle and with the Instagram, Pinnacle.betting, with plenty of other sports as well. Uh, Just remember, please, gamble responsibly. All the odds mentioned during today's episode, correct at the time of recording. So go to Pinnacle.com to make sure closer to the time of the correct odds but thanks very much once again for listening and we'll see you next month